Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. In the times of your ye old 1990s, if you wanted to reach a friend, you called that person's place of residence. Maybe there'd even be a notepad by the phone where you take a message, transcribing an actual phone number and a name. But cell phones changed everything, didn't they? Pile on email, DMs, video voicemails, emojis. The means of communication have exploded taking the norms it had once obtained with them. So today, we talk with experts about how we talk now and the transgenerational difficulties that sometimes result. Thumbs up, green heart emoji, upside down smiley face. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Washington Post columnist Heather Kelly had an idea for a column about the new phone call etiquette. She'd noticed some changing norms and an uneven adoption of different ways of thinking about phone calls among different demographic groups. And the result, a recent column, garnered 5,000 comments from Post readers who obviously all agreed with each other and with Heather. Welcome to the show, Heather Kelly. Thank you for reading them, because I I could not get through all of those. Also helping us make sense of how and why our communication etiquette has changed, we're joined by one of our in-house experts, Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, who is a community engagement reporter for KQED. And as part of this work, Carlos has to figure out how to reach younger listeners on new platforms and people who might not speak English. And unlike your geriatric millennial host, he also happens to be smack in Gen Z. Welcome, Carlos. How are you doing, Alexis? Good to be here. So good to have you again. Um, And because this stuff is really deeply complicated, underpinned by technological and sociological changes, we needed a scholar. Lee Humphreys is the chair of the Department of Communication at Cornell, where she studied the role of cell phone use in public space, as well as historicizing our present day social media with other forms in the past. Welcome, Lee. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, Heather, so your article for The Post obviously inspired this conversation. What were you trying to do with that work? 
Well, this all started, I think, when Apple announced some new changes to its own phone call features. And it it got me thinking over the summer, I should talk to every human I can find about how they use these things now. Solid reporting technique. Thank you. It was a big summer for me. Um, And I talked to definitely like a lot of Gen Zers. And I noticed that with the technology changing, how we used it had changed a lot. But then also some people holding on to ways that were really dependent on like they go all the way back to answering machines is how we use voicemails. Like answering machines still exist and they don't. I also had to explain what an answering machine was to more than one person. So <laughs> I think I just I just noticed all these changes and I really wanted to to find out what people were doing now to help everybody communicate a little better. So let's just take one example um, from the article. Can I just call someone out of the blue? It depends how much that person loves you and wants to hear from <laughs> you, Alexis. Um, I I think... In general, it could be good etiquette to call somebody or to text somebody first and say, hey, are you free? Do you want to call? My biggest caveat is never just text somebody and say, um, call me because we're going to think oh, something's that wrong. That gives me that gives, I'm like sweating just hearing that. Yeah. Call me. I'm not dead. I'm not in prison would be great. Or I just want to chat. Um, but I think it really helps people with anxiety, with busy schedules, people who maybe want to say, you know what? I don't want to talk to you. Um, so I would recommend that. Carlos, um, would you who would you call? Just like out of the blue without sending a, you know, pretext. I'd say my closest friends, I think one time I had a friend who I was telling him like, oh, like, yeah, when I when can I call you? And he's like, oh, yeah, like, here's the link to my Google calendar. And I was like, <laughs> what? You're like, I'm not scheduling a check in. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm not like say that to your mentor, say that to whoever. But like, I'm your homie. And I can I mean, I. I don't know. I, like on a Sunday when I'm like washing, you know, dishes or laundry. Yeah, I might randomly call somebody. I mean, it's fun. And I think I mean, my family definitely randomly calls me. Right. And I think that, it, you know, I, I think what Heather had added in her article was like, if you can't pick up, that's that's OK. You know, there isn't that expectation like you have to be available for that person. And I think that's one of the reasons behind a bit of that anxiety that she that she just mentioned. Uh, Lee Humphreys, you know, seem, you know, all these communication technologies, of course, are stacked on the previous things that we had, you know, email stacked on letter writing, text stacked on, I guess, you know, both oral communication as well as, you know, on email and other forms of kind of online uh, communication. And a lot of the big differences really seem to be about asynchronous, you know, you respond when you want to respond, I respond when I want to respond versus like a synchronous connection. We're both talking at the at the same time. Um, how would you uh, sort of think about for people or help people think about when and how to use the two different kind of forms of communication there? Yeah, it, I think there are important differences that are based both on the technology, but also the relationship. And so in some cases, it's perfectly fine to to call out of the blue Um uh, and here I'm thinking of more transactional exchanges, like you have to call the doctor's office or you have to call, you know, other kinds of businesses or services. And we do that all the time and we don't really think about it. Right. But it's when it comes to interpersonal or even sometimes work, um, it can have different expectations of when and how it's appropriate to um, to call or to text Um And so one of the really helpful things as we differentiate between calling and texting has to do 
as you said, with synchrony, which is the message will wait for the the receiver. And that enables um, the person to not only uh, deal with it when they are ready, but also it enables both parties to be able to edit it in ways that you really can't when you are in a synchronous live communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely, aside from this show, <laughs> I'm definitely an asynchronous communicator <laughs> for anything serious. Uh, we're talking about communication etiquette this morning, you know, when to leave a voicemail, if you should leave a voicemail, the right emoji to use. We're joined by Lee Humphreys, who's professor and chair in the Department of Communication at Cornell, Carlos Cabeta Lomeli, who is a community engagement reporter for KQED, and Heather Kelly, tech reporter and columnist for the Washington Post. We'd love to hear from you. You know, are you, have you struggled with this, particularly in a sort of transgenerational way? Do you have communication pet peeves, perhaps people who don't capitalize or put periods in their sentences, or alternatively, people who always capitalize and put periods in their text messages? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email, of course, forum at kqed.org. I personally think email is the best communication <laughs> method. Uh, so it's forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on threads, on Discord. We're KQED Forum. Um, let's, Heather, let's do a little round robin. Understanding this is all very personal. It's very contextual, as we've been saying. Um, what is a communication pet peeve for you? Um, leaving me a voicemail, unless it's something really loving and beautiful that I want to hear in your voice. I'm just going to read the transcription, and it's probably going to be wrong. Do you? How many voicemails do you have? Like, if you look at the little number, you know, on the app that says how many voicemails do you have, do you know what it is? That is a great question. I haven't looked in a really long time. I have 405 voicemails. I have 999. <laughs> um, and, uh, and every time my wife sees that, I feel like she physically shudders. She's like, how can you do that? And I'm like, well... No one actually leaves me a voicemail that's important, right? And do, do you feel that way? I, I mean, there's 999 of them. Are you sure none of them are important? <laughs> <laughs> I've read the text, uh, you know, description of at least 100 of them. So probably, you know, um, Carlos, how about you? Are you a, a voicemail hater? I mean, one thing, Alexis, is I now I know I can't ever leave you a voicemail. <laughs> I want to reach you. Uh, but yeah, I just I, I don't think I use it. It's just the thing is, can you just leave me like a, a voice note? I mean, it's also I have a Samsung, which is very different from an iPhone. So mm. we don't have that text transcription. And also, like, you have to go through this, like, you have to put up a, a code and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, girl, if you're just going to make me do all that work, like, just <laughs> write it out or something. I'm, But, you know, there are people who still send me voice notes. And that's, for example, my landlady. And, mm -hmm. you know, I got to I got to I can't miss that one. So it's just for specific people, specific situations. But it's definitely not preferred. And especially among my friends, especially amongst people that I know my age, it's really something like Heather said where I've been in conversation with people and they're like oh yeah what's what's a uh, what would you call it an answering machine an answering machine <laughs> <laughs> I mean the answering machine I mean they used to have tapes I mean it was a whole it was a whole thing I um I I mean Lee Humphreys I want to ask you about this one I mean I I feel like there's this emerging difference between the voice memo like the where you're you're intentionally just sending through a voice message 
and the voicemail where you've called, not reached someone, and, and left a message. And it's kind of fascinating that those two, really, that's the same act, are actually emerging with really different, like, kind of use cases. Yeah, I think the um, the presumption of calling and being able to reach someone, and then you leave a voicemail is um is kind of like putting the onus on the other person like i tried but you didn't pick up <laughs> and so i'm just going to you know leave a voicemail versus the voice memo i think is this is it gets back to the synchronous versus asynchronous forms of communication because the voice memo is saying you know this is for you when you're ready to to listen yes i mean i think what you're saying is every voicemail is low-key shaming me for not answering the phone that's how, that's how i'm reading that. that's how i'm reading that um well and to be fair i'll just say that the answering machine was really problematic when it first emerged people thought it was incredibly rude and terrible that we would have these machines back in the 80s right and so it's to say that you know i think norms evolve over time um but things that are now perfectly acceptable were not always that way so it's really true you know uh martine uh over martina over on the discord writes at work, we had to have a conversation with uh, Boomer colleagues a couple years ago when all communication moved online during the pandemic, obviously, about not ending Slack replies or brief emails with periods because it was scaring the younger employees. They had no idea. I wonder if the overuse of exclamation marks that characterizes, quote, appropriate text and email tone today was set as a standard by millennials over AOL Instant Messenger. I feel like exclamation marks were clearly a tone-setting thing by 2000. Heather Kelly, you and I are kind of same uh, generation. I would say the A, the AOL Instant Messenger generation. Uh, what do you think? What do you think of that theory? I, I mean, it makes total sense. I had to have a talk with my boss because she would just type OK. Oh boy! Oh, yeah, it, that that is that that hurt. <laughs> but also, I'm very aware of how many exclamation points I use, and I, I kind of attribute it a bit to the patriarchy. Like, why am I trying to make everybody so comfortable with my messages? So. Yeah, right. I hear you. Um, yeah, I we're gonna have some uh, communication themed um, songs through the show. Um, obviously, the uh, masterpiece uh, "Call Me Maybe" here. We're talking about communication, etiquette, when to leave a voicemail, how to use the right emoji. We're joined by Heather Kelly, tech reporter for The Washington Post, whose article inspired this show. Lee Humphreys, chair in the Department of Communication at Cornell, and Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, our community engagement reporter for KQED. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'd love to hear more from you about how you've been adopting to adapting to the changing communication landscape. Send us an email, forum at kqed.org. We'll be back with more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about... You know, communication etiquette in a world of changing communication technologies, uh, they've really exploded since we used to have to write each other letters or call each other on the phone. We're joined by Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, community engagement reporter for KQED, Heather Kelly, who's a tech reporter for The Washington Post, and Lee Humphreys, chair in the Department of Communication at Cornell University. Um, this also is a very listener show. We want to hear from you. So let's go to the phones early here. Uh, Jules in Nevada. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a pet peeve about uh, the email signatures that come on phones by default. It's like, please forgive my typos. I'm typing from, you know, whatever device. And my thought is just, you know, why do people suffuse that? You know, we have spell check. And if you're going to send a communication, you should just send a real communication and not kind of disclaim it at the end. Also, it's ridiculous I- to me that that's a thing. Don't you feel like that? It's never. I've never like read a message, seen a typo, and been like, "What? Oh, never mind. They were on their phone. It's cool. It's cool." <laughs> I mean, that just never. Right. That has never happened in the history of communication. You know, you where you've been like, "Oh, well, now I excuse it. Now that I know that you typed it with your thumb." Well, it undercuts it too. Yeah, like what's what, like you're sending a message and you're not gonna spend any time to you know read it or what? What's the deal? Like just just send a clear communication. That's that's my point. Um, thank you, Jules. I, I think I agree with that one. What do you think, Heather? Uh, I think it's also a way to out yourself that you're not at your desk at work. Yeah, which honestly seems kind of like a bad move. Yeah, no, always pretend all your messages come from the same place. Like, leave, them, <laughs> leave them guessing. Don't just, and you have to remove that sent from my iPhone default as well. It is true. Um, let's, uh, let's bring in Kane uh, in San Rafael, another pet peeve. Welcome. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, my pet peeve, it's real quick. On your birthday, please don't text me HBD. <laughs> I can't stand HBD. I'd rather a phone call, especially if it's once a year and we're going to connect. Give me a call. See I am. It's my birthday. If you're going to text, at least write out the words. But HBD really bothers me just because it seems really lazy and too quick. It's my birthday. So, you know, take the time to spell out the words at least. Yeah, anyway, right. That's, I, my, that's my pet peeve. <laughs> like, of all the days of the year on this very special day for you, Kane, HBD. Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> right, it just it yeah. doesn't match up with the actual communication need. Don't you think, Lee Humphrey? I feel like that's a thank you so much for that one, Kane. It feels to me like that is a um, it is a failure. It's not that abbreviations are bad. It's that it actually disrupts the meaning of the message to use that abbreviation because it sends the message of, I only have three letters in myself for you. I think, you know, happy birthdays are such a funny uh, way of, of connecting. And it's honestly less about the, the content um, and more about the fact that someone is, is reaching out in general. But I do think that the difference between 
typing out happy birthday and throwing some emojis at the end versus HBD um, <laughs> could could indicate the uh, the level of closeness um, in that relationship. It's also a little bit too close to NBD. No big deal. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> HBD, NBD, you know, um, we uh, let's let's go to a phone call lever here. Francesco in San Rafael. Welcome. Yeah, that last call from San Rafael, I totally thought you were bringing me on. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no problem. Uh, so my pet peeve, um, besides really unintelligible typos, is when people text me something that inherently requires a lot of back and forth mm. that could be taken care of in less than a minute with a phone call, but because you're texting back and forth and back and forth, it takes forever, and it's just absolutely a ridiculous waste of time on both ends. I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's a time when you need the high throughput of synchronous communication, right? And um, particularly if you're going to go back and forth. Heather Kelly, um, I feel like, thank you so much for that one, uh, Francesco. I feel like that use case was not in your article. What do you think? No, I did make a division between an emotional conversation and a factual conversation. Like, emotions aren't going to be communicated well over text. Sarcasm doesn't come through. I talked to an etiquette expert, and she said, never have a fight over text, um, which is advice I could have used like 20 years ago. But, <laughs> I, I, th but that is also a good example. If it's something that requires nuance or too many back and forth, just pick up the phone or text them and tell them to call you. What if just hypothetically you and your wife are both writers? Is it maybe a good idea to fight on text then? I think it might be. Um, no, that's that's actually the worst possible <laughs> hypothetical idea. Is she listening? Um, just hop on the phone. Actually, do it in person. I also like FaceTime for arguments because you can really read the anger on their faces. Yeah. Um, that's, we're talking about communication etiquette. You know, when to leave a voicemail. We haven't talked about emojis yet, but we're going to. Don't worry. We're joined by Heather Kelly, tech reporter for The Washington Post, Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, community engagement reporter for KQED, whose job really involves trying to use these new communication platforms. And Lee Humphreys, chair in the Department of Communication at Cornell. Of course, we want to hear from you. What are your own personal tech etiquette rules? Like, what are the norms that you would like to see applied? And what are the rules or norms that, that confuse you? Uh, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. And you can find us in all of the confusing morass of social platforms. We're KQED Forum. A um, couple of comments I feel like are, are worth um, talking about. Here we go. Carlos has come to you. Bill writes, of course I start sentences with a capital and end with punctuation. I'm not an animal! Exclamation point. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, I feel like starting a sentence with lowercase, it's not like a new thing. It's been happening for 20 years since like the AOL chat rooms, right? It's, I mean, it especially when with your friends, it makes it seem casual. It makes it seem, you know, even I definitely like now you see it on Instagram posts with like, uh, uh, with like Gen Z people trying to be aesthetically pleasing, it, it it's relaxing. It's relaxing, <laughs> and I think after a long day of you know practicing formality, 
um, especially for people who may necessarily that formality or that that doesn't come naturally. Hmm. You want to kind of like take off the hat. It's like loosening a tie after coming home from work. Uh, oh, I love know? that. It's just like just taking it, your capitals off and totally, tossing it over the exactly, you know, onto the bed. Yeah. exactly. But of course, I mean, like, I mean, the exclamation points are definitely going to always be there. But you know, when you put a period or when you you know instead of saying you know you want to write all everything out instead of saying tbh you always want to be saying to be honest or just kidding instead of jk you you know when i get when i'm texting somebody my age i'm like oh okay all right i'm i'm, I'm texting a professional here right on <laughs> you're Dude. like wow excellent emoji use gosh i didn't see that one coming are you um, are you turning off auto capitalization or do you you know, backspace and then purposely make it a lowercase. Oh, okay, okay. I used to do that until I figured out how you can turn off automatic capitalization. <laughs> but I will say when you would turn, when you would, you know, manually turn it off every single time, it added this sense, and I'm saying this very jokingly, but I'm, this sense of kind of like this organicness to it, right? This intentionality, right? This uh-huh. Where you're like, this casualness, you know, I mean it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I will say if I'm texting with younger people and I stop capitalizing and using periods, which I I do myself, um, I I have a it has a real you know Steve Buscemi meme where it's like how do you do fellow youth you know like it, it I feel like they feel me trying too hard to be casual. Yeah. Well, it, no, no. I, Alexis, you're always gonna be welcome in the, <laughs> in the community. You know? in, the, in the lowercase. In the lowercase lower community. World. Right. And it also, and you know, I, I know you mentioned emojis, but it also depends. I think emojis are part of it too, right? I, uh, I, I think, uh, I think there used to be a lot of uh, of memes and jokes on Twitter about how millennials would be very strategic with the type of emojis that they would use, versus Gen Zers that they would just put everything and nothing, and it just didn't. You would see seven emojis that had no logical sequence. You know, like a smiley face, then a cat, then a Christmas tree, and then it was really like reading like Egyptian glyphs and trying to figure it out how it all came together. But it, it, but but it's I don't know it it becomes a part of the language. Yeah, right. It's totally yeah. Every you become fluent in in that way of talking. Exactly. Lee, Lee Humphries, I'm actually really curious about the history. I don't know if you've done any research into this, but the history of like kind of lowercase or intentionally casual. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess slang would be it. It is almost like a kind of formal slang. Yeah, I think um, you know to to the point that was that was made earlier is that when we intentionally do things, we are um, whether it be fighting uh, fighting the patriarchy or fighting traditional or formal uh, interactions. I think that lowercasing our our writing to each other does. Um, or can be, you know, at times political as much as it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, loosening the tie. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, let's, uh, let's bring in another caller. Let's bring in Jared in Hayward. Welcome, Jared. Hey, how's it going, Alexis? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Hey, Easy welcome. Time. Yeah, we needed the air horn for that uh, particular <laughs> moment. 
Uh, so what I find interesting, especially being in the Bay, uh, if I'm like on online dating, uh, specifically like Peppermill or one of those, um, uh, I find that I did a little academic Spanish in college, so I'm kind of fluent. So I say, oh, wait a block on Dico, and I start talking with them, and then I'll find localizations. I'm having to learn Spanglish on the go, so like I'll find uh, Y instead of AA, or they'll just use K instead of spelling out K, and I'll just find myself, what am I looking for a while? I doing a level of translation on top of translation on, on my part, which is really, really funny when the, you're in the Bay. Yeah, so interesting. Hey, Jared, you, you know, um, thank you for that. Carlos, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I imagine both that's kind of like the intersection of your work, both like younger people and, you know, Spanish-speaking and, and non-English-speaking audiences. Um, I find when I follow people, um, I've been following this whole, like, community of creators in Mexico City, their abbreviations in Spanish also don't make sense to me. Um, I have to go, like, look them up and hope they're they're there. Absolutely. And here in the Bay Area, we have such an incredible, like, diverse Latin American diaspora. And abbreviations, stylizations vary from what group you're talking to, right? If you're talking to someone from the Caribbean and they send you a QLQ, that means they're trying to say, que lo que, which is like, what's up? While... You know, like, uh, you know, if someone says GPI to you I'm, and you're talking to someone maybe, let's say, from Mexico or Central America, that means gracias por invitarme, which is kind of like the TFTI or thanks for the invitation, sarcastic. So it's it's really cool how different communities start evolving, you know, like creating their own uh, their own abbreviations, their own styles. And we have to be right on top of that, especially when we want to. Uh, tell folks about a story we're doing or getting them to share their testimonies on WhatsApp or on TikTok because you have to show people that you that you know what that you can you can you can be comfortable with them right and I think for for folks who may never had the experience of talking to a reporter or to a journalist and if they see a very very formal mm. uh, email message whatever they might put their 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 walls up and, right. They're and like, they, am I talking to a judge here? Like, what's going on? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 we are aware that you know historically, sometimes, you know, media has, you know, just come in for you know, like just whenever there's a tough story, right? Whenever there's, uh, whenever the community is going through a hard time, and it's like, hey, tell me, you know, tell me mm-hmm. why you're crying, or tell me what you just went through, and then we take it and we're like, goodbye. But, mm-hmm. you know, the role of our work is to address what the information needs of community, and then create stories for the platforms community uses the most so within immigrant communities in the bay area that's whatsapp and and when you look at how people communicate through whatsapp it's memes it's voice notes it's rarely big you know like you know structured long paragraph stories right and that's um, and then we have to transform our storytelling to the way that people are the most familiar with so interesting um thanks for that carlos um Here's a question, and I think this goes to you, Lee Humphreys. Um, a listener writes in to say, you know, we talk with humor about changes in communication. Yet the Surgeon General says there's a deadly epidemic of loneliness. Most of the changes we've experienced are commerce-driven and not necessarily humane. Is the Surgeon General right? Are we paying a deadly price for not actually talking to each other? I think the concerns around loneliness and mental health in this country are absolutely not overstated. Um, These are huge crises, and that has to do with a number of different factors, um, including economic and political precarity, 
Um, it's not just Instagram, um, though Instagram, I think, is often or, or other forms of social media um, or mediated communication. There are these concerns, right, that people are looking at their phones as opposed to actually, you know, talking with one another. And what we have seen in the research is that if you are anxious or have mental health challenges, then technology can exacerbate them. Um, but to just say that, you know, Instagram is, is terrible or social media are terrible um, doesn't point out the myriad of ways in which people are finding social connection and social support through these technologies. I, for one, cannot imagine what the pandemic would have been like had we not had social media, Zoom, mobile phones, mm -hmm. gaming platforms um, to enable us to connect with others while we were physically separated. Yeah. Um, I have some more uh, comments coming in. Um, actually, some like kind of lovely ones. Um, one listener on Discord writes, my mother-in-law in India has sent me a WhatsApp voice memo of her describing one of her recipes so I can make it. And that's awesome because I go back and listen to that over and over and over again. And it's almost as good as sitting next to her and getting these instructions. The only problem is she doesn't specify exact amount. So I had to refine my understanding of her instructions when she was here last summer. Uh, and I could observe her. Um, Kathy writes, I would say on the, the other end of things, as the number of ways of communicating have proliferated, the more difficult communication has become. Some people only text and don't do email or vice versa. Some don't like talking on the phone. I find it very annoying that people don't listen to voicemail. I'm sorry, Kathy, I'll listen to your voicemail, I promise. It's easier and more personal than having to type out a message. But then I'm an ancient 71-year-old who grew up with answering machines. Um, Heather Kelly, I'm going to um, tell you about a chaos agent we have unleashed upon my family, uh, who is my daughter, my seven-year-old. We got a landline and we put a bunch of phone numbers of you know her loved ones next to the phone. And now when she gets bored, she just goes and starts dialing up her grandparents or you know her her aunties. Um, and I will say, I think that now that people have figured out that our phone is not our landline is not actually a spam call, they do they pick up and they kind of love it. I mean that's. That's adorable. We we break all the rules for children. I we have cousins, um, like all around the world, who will just uh, duo. Is that the, I don't even know what Google calls its app these days, but they'll use like FaceTime or the Google equivalent, twenty four seven, and they wow. just want to hang out and stare at you. But also the kids when they talk, they put the cameras down to stare at the ceiling. So, so I don't really know what they're up to. Um, but I, I do think giving kids that access is is super great. And it's actually how a lot of these relationships are formed because, you know, like half our family's in the Philippines and half is here. And the cousins are really close just because they randomly annoy each other all day long. Yeah, that's right. Or they get on, you know, Minecraft or Roblox and yep. just sit there like with a FaceTime open as they run around together. Um, you know, Tony on Discord writes, for most people, I would rather they text. Except I long for my college senior daughter to call me. I love it when she calls me out of the blue. It brightens my week whenever she just dials me up. That is your reminder. Call your moms. Call your dads. Call your, you know, cousins or sisters. We're talking about communication etiquette, when to leave a voicemail, when to call, when to text, what's the right emoji to use. We're joined by Heather Kelly, tech reporter for The Washington Post, whose article inspired the show. Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, community engagement reporter for KQED. Uh, Lee Humphrey is professor and chair of the Department of Communication at Cornell. We'd love to hear from you. 
What are your favorite ways of communicating with people? What are your pet peeves? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about this exploding world of technological communication possibility and how it leaves many of us confused. (laughs) Um, We're joined by Heather Kelly, a tech reporter for The Washington Post, whose article inspired this show. It's on, you know, telephone etiquette in the modern day. Also joined by Lee Humphreys, professor and chair in the Department of Communication at Cornell, and Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, who is a community engagement reporter for KQED. I want to bring in uh, Michael in Oakland. We come to the portion of the show where we talk about emoji. Welcome, Michael. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I first wanted to comment back earlier on the show that um, I find the perfunctory use of exclamation points in emails somewhat disheartening and confusing because I'm never sure when someone is genuinely enthusiastic about something or if they just like feel that they have to put an exclamation point at the end of every sentence anyway. Um, but yeah, the main thing, uh, irony in emojis, I, I find this kind of baffling talking mostly with millennial age people where when I use thumbs up, I mean, thumbs up, this is good. <laughs> let's do it. And they sort of mean, Oh yeah, that's great stuff. Michael. Um, yeah. They mean or, this or, conversation's or, over. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bingo. Uh, or like they will put, uh, skull and crossbones at the end of something. And I take this to mean like I have said something horribly offensive and no, apparently this means I am laughing myself to death. Like anyway, it's very confusing. Like, can we just use these things? They're cartoons. They are meant to be maximally communicative. Don't use them ironically. Yeah. I, Michael, I actually, this is, um, this is a, a fantastic uh, topic in part because um, you know, Carlos, I feel like as, as you were talking about, um, you know, different communities, particular abbreviations, I actually think it's intimacy generating to use an emoji in an ironic way and have it be understood, right? Because you use it this way, an upside down, Stephen writes, for example, when is it appropriate to use an upside down smiley face? When you use one and the person gets what it means, it's like that's a deepening of that connection. Yes, yes. And I mean, I, I was just reminded of when my mom started sending me emojis with uh, it was the emo like the sultry face looking emoji, but she <laughs> thought it was the side eyed emoji. And I was like, no, you cannot send that. Please don't tell me you're sending that to your boss or something. And she's like, well, how am I supposed to know? It looks like it's giving a side eye, you know, like it's not happy with the situation. But 
it, I think that, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the, the call we just had. Uh, and I, I, I feel like I was able to click in. I like tune into the meanings and the double meanings and the triple meanings of each emoji growing up when, you know, the, the first iPhone came out when I was in middle school. And that's when, you, you know, like we were just we're like, OK, this emoji means this. All right. And we were kind of like making fun of certain emojis in class and using them and everything. And we were kind of like making up this language um, within ourselves, like with ourselves that then I don't really have to worry about figuring out or, you know, feeling like I'm kind of out of touch with because it, it, I was there when we were, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. not just emojis, but now memes and TikTok. Yeah, you and, formed that community of practice. Exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. And then that helps. And then when I'm talking to somebody who had that similar experience, I'm able to build that extra level of intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, we were talking about how sometimes texting, you miss out on some of that content, like mm-hmm. context, some of that mm-hmm. tone. But emojis can, you know, that emojis can be that extra tool. And knowing that someone can see that and get exactly what you mean, it brings you a little closer to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Heather, what do you think? I, I agree. It is a lot of work to sit there and sort of figure it out and deduce what the meaning is. I, I have kids the same age as yours, and I, I'm always learning new things from them. Um, <laughs> if they say sus one more time, I'm going to scream. But Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. they, I just gave them iMessage to communicate with their friends. Uh, and I, I don't know what they're saying. I don't think they do either. But it, it is really fun to watch how they're learning in real time what these things could mean, what they want them to mean. Um, also, I'm I'm on Slack a lot where you can make your own emojis. And that's oh, yeah. just like a whole other frontier that um, I, I just adore confusing people. I um, Yeah, there are also there's such a culture that ends up existing around those for those of us who are or in slacks of various kinds or, or in our discord. There are custom ones of these things and they, they do tend to speak speak to the culture of the place in kind of an intense way. Um, this, a uh, couple other comments coming in. Uh, Kenichi, uh, who's most definitely not an old person, says, might be an old person gripe, but I detest when I ask a non-rhetorical question and people just react with a thumbs up. The conflation of vague approval with explicit uh, assent is maddening. <laughs> Someone reacted to a thumbs up with that, by the way. Um, <laughs> there, <laughs> uh, a more more serious question um, oh, two more serious questions. One, Eric writes, um, can someone explain to this clueless boomer how a period at the end of a text is insulting or quote unquote scary? It's the end of a sentence. So I put a period. Taking that as an insult seems weirdly snowflakey or oversensitive. What am I missing? And when did this memo go out? I missed it. Period. Uh, <laughs> um, Heather, talk to me. What do you what do you like? How, how would you put that? So it's funny. A lot of people wrote me after the story to call Gen Z or snowflakes. They use that word. Um, for being anxious about phone calls, for having like sort of different needs. And I, I, I think that's a great place to start. I'd actually like to hear Carlos's take on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's I, I, when when people from older generations tell me like you're too informal and, and like in emails or whatever, like that is not OK. I mean, I think we all both people like everyone on both sides of the spectrum have things to gripe about, right? So, uh, you know, sure there are things where you're like, okay, yeah, maybe that shouldn't be come off as that way, but you know, you flip the coin and the same thing happens, right? So I, 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 I will always be the strongest advocate for Gen Zers, and to that, you know, to to end my case, to rest my case, I'll just say that 
Um, yeah, uh, with older folks, there might be things that, yeah, like, peeve them off of that younger people do, and vice versa. I, it goes on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's, here's what I would say. This is, this is my own response. As someone who has occasionally been scared by an okay period um, by different people in my life, I think that, like, when you're in an informal register and you think you're just chatting about whatever, um, uh, maybe with a variety of people on your phone, and then a message comes through that sends things into a more formal register or seems to um, require a different level of response, that that sort of context switch for like you're just having fun on your phone, oh, no, wait, actually I'm doing something serious on my phone, um, is tough. And I think, you know, Lee Humphrey, there was this, um, there's been a, a bunch of different kind of sociologists who've kind of tried to approach that all this kind of context collapses around our digital communications, particularly around our phones. Do you have like a, a theory for, you know, why that kind of communication can feel so different to different kinds of people? I mean, I, I think we have, as you said, we've always interacted differently and been ourselves, but different versions of ourselves based on the people we are with. So I act differently in front of my kids than I do my colleagues, than I do my students, um, than I do my grandparents, right? And um, they're all versions of me. But what can happen in some of these contexts um, is that you are communicating across different relations. So I might have a colleague and my mom on Facebook or Instagram um, who have different uh, communication styles with me. And so it does lead to angst, anxiety, and discomfort when you have these different communication styles converging in one exchange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add to that, that uh, I think people my age, we've been using phones, we've been texting since we were, what, 10, nine years old. Right. So that's 60, 70 percent of our lives. And we are are we trained. Our brains have been trained to switch and to understand how uh, con how uh, how tone, how context changes across platform, time, everything, capitalizations, period. And when we, when someone just, you know, when a conversation kind of deviates from that or just, mm. it's really hard mm -hmm. to read, right? When I read a text someone sent me, I hear their voice in my head. And if I see like the uppercase, the period, immediately I hear them serious, right? Because it's like, let's say you get a text saying, Let, we, need, we need to talk. It, it could be, we need to talk, right? Like, yeah, I miss yeah. you. Or it could be like, we need to talk, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you've screwed up. And how am I supposed to know that, right? Like what you mean, and I will look at the context clues, right? I'll see, okay, is it is it uppercase? Is it is there a period? Are there emojis? So it's not that you know a period. I'm scared of a period. I'm not. I'm working really hard to figure out what you mean so I can respond so respond mm -hmm. accordingly. Appropriately, that's nice. Um, a listener writes, my husband insists on proper punctuation in text and double spacing between sentences. <gasps> oh, man. <laughs> Our teen kids think he's perpetually angry over text. <laughs> uh, Lucy, on the other end, I love this one. Lucy writes, my husband greets, capitalizes, adds period, and concludes with a farewell with every text. For example, dear Nicholas, 
Please remember to call your mom. Love, Dad. <laughs> Never change. That's adorable. Never awesome. change, Dad. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, here is another question. I actually think this is really interesting, Carlos. We're gonna we're gonna lean on you again here. A listener writes. I'm an older millennial, i.e. the AOL chatroom generation. Welcome, friend. But this is a real question for the younger generation. When I get a missed phone call and there's no text message, there's no voicemail, are they expecting me to call them back? Because my assumption is if it was important, you'd let me know. Mm, okay. Uh, depends. Uh, personally, um, if... If I if I see a, a missed call, I'm just gonna text you and be like, "Hey, what's up? I was, you know, in the bathroom, washing my hands, in the gym, whatever." Right? I think a text, just being like, "Hey, what's up? Everything okay?" is like a pretty good, just um, kind of in between. That's amongst friends, right? If it's you know, I'm a I'm a journalist and I have to be calling people and talking to people all the time. So if I see it was a source, my editor, a colleague, then yeah, let me get back to you, right? I mean, what's her time is our, our greatest commodity but i think if you are trying to figure out what to do just send a text just be like hey sorry i missed you everything okay let me know yeah yeah um here is another one um i this is not a pet peeve for me mom just so you know i'm just reading the comment a listener writes my biggest pet peeve people who use voice to text whether they're driving or worse just because they can't be bothered to type while sitting on the couch and then not reviewing it for errors before sending it's the hallmark of a boomer this has to be a resonating experience for many people of all ages even those who do it themselves so listener i will defend the voice to text people i actually find um the voice to text i get from my own mother who you know, employs this method of texting to be delightful because instead of getting, you know, little snippets, I really do get to hear her voice in the transcription. And, you know, I can work around the typos that are introduced by by voice to text. Um, and, and in exchange, what I get is a much like richer communication with my mom via text, which is my preferred uh, mode. Heather Kelly, what do you think? Voice to text. It's also an accessibility feature. A lot of older people struggle a bit more with texting. Um, I find that I've heard a lot of complaints that, that the phone's not as sensitive to their fingertips and it's harder to do. Hmm. So it really is a way for them to be able to use this tool without like trying to see tiny letters or, or deal with a finicky screen. So I always try and, you know, always assume like what's the accessibility angle here? Who is this helping and how? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, here is a difficult question question, I think. Uh, Lee, I'm wondering about emojis and race. I kind of like using the old nobody is this color yellow, but my sense, the Lego kind of emoji, but my sense is that the norm is changing and that enlightened folks are avowing their race by selecting a color closer to their own. What's the etiquette there? This is so funny. We've had a lot of conversations about this. Um, I eventually went, because, you know, if you use the yellow one, it's sort of it gives a little sort of all races matter feel right now or like I don't see color. Um, anyway, so I switched my thumbs up to like the pasty white girl thumbs up. Okay. Yeah, I, I for the I chose the, when I saw I could use the brown. I was like, OK, like brown pride. Let's go. You know, and and when I see the yellow, I'm like, ooh, like, OK, you're figuring things out for yourself. Like <laughs> you, you don't know where you stand. Like, all right, you know, whatever. Everyone's on their journey. And of course, it's like if you. I, I don't want people thinking like, oh, like if I use the yellow one, am I going to get canceled? No, you're not going to get canceled. Don't worry. Like, but it, it's, it's, it, I think it, it is nice to have that personal touch, right? And especially for, for, for folks who, you know, of, of darker skin tones like us, 
it, it's I don't know I, I like to rep it and especially you know both you know with my friends with my family and also uh, like on Slack or uh, professional emails because I'm like hey yeah this is this is part of me yeah interesting Lee um, you know this is one of these uh, like very interesting and I think you know kind of kind of complicated question too one listener writes. How does cool texting, that's in air quotes, with so much collapsing of words, creative letter series, and punctuation alterations, affect competence with formal writing standards? So for you as an educator, do you think that this has changed people's ability to, you know, code switch into a more formal academic language because people have gotten used to communicating in this other register? I mean, I think there are various ways that we all communicate. Um, and I will say I have seen a um, just in the, the ways that students address me and the way that sometimes they submit writing um, uh, has, you know, changed at least, you know, a little over the last 15 years. Um, I think, you know, as part of this it becomes really interesting to think about both autocorrect, but when various forms um, like, you know, will fill in what they think I'm going to say in my sentence. Right. And and sometimes I will just type it out anyways, you know, being like, no, you won't, you know, say it for me. I'm going to say it in my own words. But I do think, you know, the there are changing expectations around communication and formality. And one one of the things that that we do is just to be really explicit about when we care about it and when something does need to be more formal and being explicit with younger generations about expectations regarding communication style um because if they if you don't um if you don't explain it and tell them exactly what you are looking for, then why would they know? And so we have found that when we explain what exactly, um, what kinds of formal writing we're looking for, the students are absolutely able to perform. Good news, good news. Okay, no explanation, all three of you. Uh, and we'll start with you, Carlos. Favorite emoji, can't explain why. Oh, I love this question. <laughs> okay, so it's the emoji that has like, it's like a face emoji, right? It has one-eyed Close when I open, it has like the tongue out. Like <laughs> I'm making the face out right now. I believe the official term for it is zany face. Yeah, yeah. But I drop that all the time. Perfect. It's like the embodiment of chaos. <laughs> Heather Kelly, uh, Slack has a dancing otter holding a fish. Yeah, perfect. Lee Humphreys, I like the big toothy grin smiley face. Ooh. Okay, I'm an upside down smiley face person all the way. Um, I love that. Those are. Those are perfect. Um, a couple uh, poignant notes as we uh, end the show here. Rebecca writes, you know, my husband of 55 years died unexpectedly two years ago, and I discovered several old voicemails from him. It's wonderful to hear his voice, and I treasure these. Reed on Discord, uh, Discord writes, thanks to the old answering machine, I have a huge archive of wonderful messages from my parents, now deceased, and my daughter as a young child. So grateful I have this audio archive. I do love that. We've been talking about communication etiquette with Heather Kelly, tech reporter for The Washington Post, Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, community engagement reporter for KQED, and Lee Humphreys, professor and chair in the Department of Communication at Cornell. Thank you all so much. The 9 o'clock hour of Forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Jennifer Ng, and Dan Zoll. Our interns are Jericho Reininger and Amika Oda. 
Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Francesca Benzi is our digital community producer. Judy Campbell is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Catherine Monahan. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Call your loved ones, even if they're not expecting it. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour forum with Mina Kim. And I mean it from the bottom of my Funds for the production of KQED's forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.